Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, because it is your sacrifice that has opened up the door for us to be able to know you and to have relationship with you. Father, that as we go through our lives, that we wish our lives were as perfect as you had originally planned them to be. But Father, we know that they are not. And so, Father, it is easy for us to look to find pleasure, look to find rescue in things that ultimately do not fulfill. But we know that if we simply look to you to be the resource to be the answer, to be the solution to our lives, that it is very easy for you to come in and make good things happen. Father, one of the ways that we can do that this morning is just to be able to go to you and ask for forgiveness for any sin or error or mistake or thing that's holding us back in our lives. So Father, we're just going to take a moment, each of us individually, go to you and ask for forgiveness. Let's just do that right now, each of us individually. Father, forgive us of those things, Lord, and we thank you for the opportunity at life. We thank you that you have given us a purpose and a plan and a vision that you want us to fulfill. Father, for each of us, it's unique. For each of us, it's different, but that you have a desire for every single one of us. Father, that our lives are not wasted or meaningless, but that when we answer your call, that they become fulfilled. And so, Father, we thank you that we also are able to look to you as the example. Father, as we talk about the cross last week and the resurrection this week, Father, that we can look to those things, that we can hold on to those central truths of what you have revealed to us, Father, in our lives. Father, we pray this morning that you would send your Holy Spirit into each one of us, into our lives, indwelling us and pushing us forward into whatever your plan is for each of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, there's no movie clip again. Um, this week and last week, um, we're just doing one-off special topics. The reason is I usually do series, and uh, I plan out my series a year in advance. Um, but occasionally, actually pretty much every year, um, the calendar gets a little bit you know, haywire. And um, so we're going to do a special topic last week and a special topic this week. And the special topic that we're doing this week also doesn't lend itself very well to sort of a Hollywood um, approach. Um, we're going to talk today about the resurrection. Now, uh, I'm going to do this a little bit different, maybe, um, than usual, maybe a little bit different than, than other approaches to this topic, uh, but I really liked uh, how the message went last week, um, which was just basically picking three biblical themes or three biblical ideas about the cross, and so this week I figured I would kind of do the same thing and talk about three issues as it relates to the significance of the resurrection in our lives today, and as well as how do we deal with this whole topic of resurrection. I mean, you would think that if you go to the, a, a church, right, this is going to be a topic that you talk about a lot, and in our today's society, I, I find just as uh, someone who's a, a student of churches, if you will, is that there are some churches that preach on the resurrection every single Sunday, to the point where you think that there is no other aspect of God's love or um, God's determination for us. Of course, it's a central thing. We know that. But, and then there's other churches that are afraid to mention the resurrection at all, right? I mean, they think, you know, science seems to be weirded out by it. 
Um, and so we would just won't mention it. Of course, the, that's the greater error of the two. Um, but at the same time, we want to just hit on this issue and talk about the significance of it or sort of some themes that the Bible uh, talks about when it deals with the resurrection. So what is the deal with the resurrection? I couldn't find a better word than deal. Um, and so we're just going to go with that unless I think of something else. But I just want to talk about that for a few moments from the Bible. Now, I kind of mentioned this, but at BBC, we do spend a lot of time talking about God's working in our day-to-day -day lives. Um, but we don't want to forget our destination. So we're going to talk a little bit about, yes, what happens when we pass from this world today. All right. Now, last week we learned that there are two options of when we pass from this world. What are those two options? Zombies and vampires, right? No. Okay, we did talk about zombies and vampires, but that is not the answer to that question, right? Okay, so we're going to today, we're going to talk about this subject. Um, I just mentioned that because we don't spend a lot of time talking about the eternal ever after at BBC. Not that it's not important, but I think that the Bible spends about 90% of its time, I mean, you can prove this by just looking through the, through the Bible and counting the passages, but the Bible spends the majority of the time how we are to love God, serve God, and glorify God here on this earth, right? And so, but we do want to make sure that we all are clear on final destination sort of issues. So we're going to see what the Bible says. Now, a lot of times, as I mentioned before too, for those of you who may be unfamiliar, I prefer to take a whole passage and walk down through it, uh, but because we're dealing with something sort of topically today, it's not going to be possible to do that, because we're going to look at three different issues in the Bible. So we're going to flip around a little bit. It's going to be up on the big screen, but I'm just warning you in advance. Three ideas that we're going to talk about this morning about, you know, what is the deal with the resurrection? First of all that we're going to talk about is that resurrection is the dream of humanity, okay? Resurrection is a dream of humanity, and you can follow along in your handout um, if you'd like. But when we talk about some of the greatest dreams or some of the greatest ideas that humanity has ever had, that we as people have ever had or wished for or desired, resurrection is certainly one of them, right? Um, when we think about the great things that we think about as far as what people could achieve, right? I mean, resurrection is probably right after, right in front of flying. So many people from the dawn of time have wished that they would be able to fly, right? I mean, if we could just get wings, we would go, we would fly, we would just, you know, cruise the, the you know, 50,000 feet or something, right? Um, but even more than that, being able to not die, being able to live forever, being able to actually uh, rise again from the grave has got to be probably the number one greatest desire in general of humanity. Now, I find that very interesting. We're going to talk about why that is in just a second. Let's, let's read the, uh, a couple passages here. But I find that very interesting for uh, actually a whole lot of reasons. Here's Isaiah. Isaiah 26, 19 says this. But those who die in the Lord will live. Their bodies will rise again. Okay, now we're going to talk about this more in detail in a couple minutes. But it's interesting because as Christians, we know that when we die, that we will live again with God. But, but it's a little bit more nuanced than that. We're going to talk about that. Those who sleep in the earth will rise up and sing for joy, for your life-giving light like dew will fall like dew on your people in the place of the dead. Okay? Let me move on to Job. This is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. 14, 14, and then chapter 19. Can the dead live again? Now let me just pause here, because Job is probably the first book of the Bible ever written down on paper, or at least ever conceived of uh, as it was... Uh, tradition as orally passed down and, and written down and that sort of thing. The thing about Job is that Job was probably written down at least a thousand years ago and probably dates to almost 2,000, I'm sorry, 
a thousand years before Jesus, which would be 3,000 years ago, and probably dates to even a thousand years before then, right? So we're talking about a long, long time ago. What did people care about a long, long time ago? Gene therapy, living forever, right? Rising from the dead, artificial organs, a pig heart in my, in my body, right? That sort of thing. That's what people were interested in then. That's what people are interested in now. Can the dead live again? If so, this, were, this would give me hope through all my years of struggle, and I would eagerly await the release of death, right? We could say that today. We could put that in the New Yorker magazine, uh, turn it around a little bit, right? And it would still be culturally relevant today. People want to know. Of course, we know that the average American might go to, I don't know, a psychic or a guru or Swami or something, you know, or Oprah to find the answers to these questions, right? Starting in verse 19, but as for me, this is Job speaking, I know that my Redeemer lives, remember, a thousand years before Jesus is a minimum, and he will stand upon the earth at last, talking about Jesus, and after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God, right? Now that's a very powerful statement, because what he's saying there is that, first of all, he knows that God is going to send a Redeemer, but also that what's going to happen, that even after his body is decayed, that his body is going to be risen again, that it's going to be resurrected, right? And that he's going to see God with his own two eyes, right? Fascinating. Okay. Everyone seems to want to live forever. Now, I mentioned this a couple seconds ago, right? Because we all desire to live for forever. Now, maybe you here specifically as an individual person, you may say, no, I don't like my life. I could, you know, I could, I could do without it. But throughout, throughout history, throughout the average human person who's ever lived, the desire to live forever, the desire to be resurrected, the desire to rise again has been probably the number one most important issue that people ask about or people are interested or people wish they could do, right? What do we do? We spend tons of money on everything from medicine to palm. Is that pronounced palm? I never knew. Palm, I think, yeah, for pomegranate, right? We could cheat death if you just drink this drink, right? That would be cool, right? No more hangman's noose for us. No more uh, dirt nap, right? Just drink pomegranate juice and we'll be okay, right? We could cheat death. Or, or if you want to live forever, you know, you could be a rapper and, you can, and legends will live forever, right? You can live forever in fame. And so no matter what it is from, from medicine uh, to healthy living to being a rapper to whatever it is, right, um, it is all about us living forever. That's the universal desire of man. Let's put it that way. Even people in the ancient world felt the same way we do today. When we think of the greatest thing that we could hold on to, the greatest thing that we could have, we, you know, we say, yeah, all the money in the world would be nice. Yeah, all, being able to fly would be nice. Yeah, being a person of influence or power famous would be nice. But being able to live forever is the universal greatest desire of all people. Now, let me ask why that is. Why do you think that is? I mean... Let's just ask the question. How many of us love our life so much that no matter how sick or how adverse or how bad our life gets, that we just want to keep on doing it? Well, not so much, right? I mean, when we think even of, of decent days in our lives and someone says, you can have this kind of life for forever, right? You're like, mm, I could pass, you know? Maybe if I could be like famous and then, or rich and then, no, right? And so the thing is, is that, but yet at the same time, it's a universal desire. Why is that? Why is it the universal desire of man to live for forever, of people to live for forever? 
Well, it's very simple from a biblical perspective. It's because what? God created it to be that way, right? See, everything that God creates, he creates for a reason, for a purpose, right? And the things of our world tend to want to go the way God wants them to go, even if we fight against them, right? The thing is, is that when Adam and Eve were in the garden, right, and they decided to disobey God and rebel against him and to eat the fruit and to, and to just disregard his will at that point in time, it brought brokenness into the world, but it didn't change the fact that they still had the desire to live for forever because that's what they were created to do, right? That's what they were created to do. Listen, we can take it to another example here. Why is it, and I know this is a touch on a sensitive subject, but we know that having sexual relationships is important and is in fact necessary only in a marriage covenant situation, right? But yet, why are we as people all tempted to be involved in that even when we are single, right? I mean, as soon as the hormones start bursting into our lives at age, I don't know, it used to be like 12 or 13, now it might be 9 or 10, I'm not sure, right? But we just have this desire to do it, right? And yet at the same time, we know that that desire is what? Like good on one hand and bad on the other, right? Why is it bad? It's bad because if we take hold of that desire, right, outside of marriage, then it brings a lot of hurt and brokenness into our lives more, even more than we need, right? But it's a good desire on the one hand, on the other hand, because God created us to do what? To love each other, right? And he created it so that a man and a woman would join together and they would get married. Well, really, forget the word married. It's the covenant there, right? They would make that covenant to each other, right, before God, and that they would jo enjoy that, that relationship, right? And so it's the same way. Because God created us to love, it's natural for us to love, even in broken situations, right? Why is it that a person who faces, who is in a domestic violence situation, okay, why is it that, uh, and I, I usually would say the lady, but men can be abused as well, but the person who is being abused, why do they still feel they need to stay in the relationship and that they still love that person? Which, by the way, is broken thinking. But why do they feel that way? Because God created them to honor that relationship. God created them to love that person, right? But the problem is that love is expressing itself how? In a brokenness that's holding on to something that doesn't, isn't real, something that's very, very damaged, right? So the thing is, it's the same thing is true in our world today, that the reason why we all have a desire to live for forever is because God created us for that purpose, right? And so everything that God created us for, it is normal, it is natural for us to want to go along that path, although our brokenness and our selfishness and our sinfulness enters in and kind of messes it up. Right? Instead of us going along the path in the right way, we do what? We look for palm or we become a rapper. Right, Rick? You became a rapper because you wanted to live for forever, right? Just kidding. Rich is not a rapper. At least I don't know that he's a rapper, right? But that's the desire that we all have, right? It is the greatest boundary which we cannot overcome. That's really the issue, right? We cannot overcome it. And, and being able to rise again from the grave is the one thing that we cannot seem to do, right? I mean, we, we could become as rich as Solomon. We could become as famous as the Queen of Sheba, Paris Hilton, whoever, right? Hannah Montana. We could become like them, right? But the problem is the one thing that we cannot do is we cannot escape that final destination that we all face, right? I mean, we cannot escape death. We cannot escape whatever is going to happen to us in that great unknown, right? That's the reason why 
It is the universal concern of all people. And we know, if we read the Bible, that the reason why it's also the universal concern is because God created us to live for forever. Not to die, but to live for forever. It is sin that causes death, right? But it is God's desire that we live for forever, according to the Bible. Listen, even if medicine it can extend our lives or clone us, uh, you know, 50 times, and I don't know if that's extension or not, um, but it cannot bring us back from the dead, right? Um, it will probably, and in fact, I would say it will never be able to do that. It will never be able to do that because we know that the, 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 the being a person is much more than just the physical aspect of us, right? We can resuscitate a body, but bringing its spirit back into it is a problem. Now, the interesting thing is, of course, is the Bible, when the Bible talks about resurrection, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, but when the Bible talks about resurrection, it doesn't talk about us what? When we live for forever, it doesn't talk about us what? Living just as spirits, right? That is not a Christian idea. The Bible talks about the fact that when we are resurrected and when we live for forever, um, that we will have real physical bodies, that being a physical person is a part of it, right? The Bible doesn't differentiate, well, it differentiates, but it doesn't, it doesn't say, it doesn't give you the idea that we're going to be these sort of spirits that just float around um, in the universe. And that's why it's all or nothing, right? Just because science can bring back one part or a second part or try to bring back or clone or whatever, it doesn't change the fact that it's all of us that makes us human, right? If you took your brain out of you, and I don't mean your physical brain, I mean your seat of intellect out of you, would you still be you? No, right? Because what makes you is the sum of all the parts, but it's more than just that, right? It's more than the sum of all the parts, right? That's why if you lose an appendage, if you lose a finger, you're still you, right? You're not less you because you is more than just your finger. More is just you than just your body. More is all of who you are, right? Something that we cannot explain. The Bible doesn't really try to explain it, right? But it's just who we are is what makes us unique and what makes us God-designed, God-engineered, rather than just a product of a biological process, right? And that's the reason why cloning, resurrection, any of those things that we as people try to achieve will always fall short because it is only God who can ultimately bring about such a powerful thing as to bring all these things together to make a person, right? So even if medicine happens to extend our lives or clone us, it cannot bring us back from the dead, not in the way um, that we mean. Resurrection is the surest sign of God. So here's the thing. I want you to understand two things from the point. I got a little muddled up, some good stories. But um, the first idea is it's a dream of all people, you know, to be able to not have to die, to be able to rise again um, after death, either one, right? But, and the reason why it's the universal desire is because God created us that way, all right? Second idea is that resurrection is the surest sign of God. Resurrection is the surest sign of God. Now, here's the thing. If you wanted to prove God, let me just pause here for a second. If you wanted to prove the existence of God, right, we could say, well, if I get in my car as I'm leaving here today and start the engine, right, uh, and it turns on and the car goes, that proves God, right? That proves the existence of God because here's an inert object, right, a, just a big scrap of metal, 2,000 pounds, right, and I turn it on and it goes, right? That proves God's here, real, right? No, right? Nobody's going to believe that. They're going to say, no, that's not God. That's Ford or whatever, Volkswagen in my situation, right? They're going to say that's, that's not it. You can't prove God that way, right? Okay. Um, how then 
would we prove the existence of God? Or how, how then can we argue the existence of God, right? I mean, if we encounter skeptics in our day-to-day work and we, we talk to them and say, I don't believe in that religion thing, man, or whatever. If we went to the graveyard and somebody came out of the grave, would that make a skeptic believe? Probably more than anything else. Maybe pigs flying would be a close second, right? Although we've all seen cartoons where they've done that, so it's an old joke now, right? But actually seeing someone come out of the grave, someone rise again, would be the surest proof that there really is something more in our universe, that there really is a God who is out there, right? Why do you think that God chose the resurrection to be the focal point of his demonstration to people throughout the world? Now, we know from last week and from the last several weeks that, G- that God required a sacrifice, a substitute on our behalf, right? That for us to be able to be free from sin, someone has to take the penalty of our sin, right? And so, of course, it was going to require, the way God set it up, that someone come and die, right? But why resurrection? Why not just make Jesus really filthy rich? Right? Wouldn't that show God's grace? Because we know rich people are more blessed than poor people, right? Okay, you guys are a little asleep this morning. The answer to that is no. No, 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 right? No. Uh, Here's the question then. If God wanted to show one clear way that he is God, what would it be? Why not pick the one universal thing that we all desire, right? seems to make sense to me. Let's read the passage here and see what the Bible has to say. Uh, this is uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 12-21. This is uh, Paul describing um, and talking about this issue of resurrection. Okay, Why are some of you, and he's speaking to the people in the church of Corinth who had lots of different views at that point on resurrection. Why are some of you, in general, I'm sorry, in general, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? Now, let me just pause here historically. Um, what was going on is that, just like today, there were lots of people who believed that there would be a resurrection for the dead, and there would be lots of people who believed what? That you turn into worm food when you die, right? Same old, same old. Listen, if we come back 3,000 years from now, and the earth is still going on the way it is, and it's like the Jetsons, and we fly around in little spaceships and stuff, it'll still be the same way, right? Still be the same way. There'll be lots of people who, who are waiting for Jesus to come back if he hadn't come back yet, and there'll be lots of people who believe that we just turn into worm food, Okay. So, even at that time, Paul was confronting this issue. Why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection dead? This is right after Jesus rose from the grave, and these people came to church because they were supposed to be believing that. For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either, right? I mean, if there's no resurrection, how is Christ raised? And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins, right? Because that goes back to a few weeks ago when we were talking about the sacrifice. Because if Christ did not die right then the sacrifice isn't any good and the resurrection was a demonstration um the proof the uh the proof of that but in fact christ has been raised from the dead he is the first of a great harvest of all who have died so you see just as death came into the world through a man now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man right okay so here's what happened right very simply right god desired all of us to live for forever Okay, and if you have a doubt, I'm going to prove it to you in just a minute. Okay? But God desired for all of us to live for forever. But then what happened? There's one guy, Adam, and he did what? 
screwed it up for everyone else, right? So instead of us living happily ever after, forever, right? Here we're going, humanity's going down to live happily forever after, sort of. And Adam says what? Hey, I'm going to be disobedient. And what happens? Sin and brokenness enters to the world, right? So you take a huge detour, right? And humanity's over here going, oh, palm, being a rapper, awesome. That's what I could do, right? I can live for forever, right? And then what happens? Jesus comes into the world and says what? Listen, I'm going to be willing to be a sacrifice on your behalf, take away all of the things that you've done wrong so that you can be right with God so that what? After you pay the final issue of dying, that you will do what? Rise again, and you'll live for forever, right? Pretty awesome, right? That's what happens. Because one man brought brokenness into the world, God desired that one man would eliminate brokenness from the world if we simply trust in him, right? Or you can do the worm food theory. I have lots of friends, right, who believe we're just going to turn into worm food. And I'm like, dude, how is that any better than believing what I believe? At least there's some hope. There's some positive, right? I mean, worm food, really? Come on. Is that the best you can do? Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. That's what they say, right? Because it's, it's depressing and it's horrible, right? And it's also not the way that God created them. And they know it in their hearts, right? They know it in their hearts. You have to find someone who is very, very... Well, I know some... Pretty world-class atheist, not Richard Dawkins, but uh, one tier below him. And you have to be a pretty pitiful person to believe. Uh, pitiful, that may be too hard. Pretty um, broken, <laughs> I think is really the right word. Pretty broken to believe that really all that's going to happen um, is turn into worm food. That's my experience. Here's the thing. Paul says, listen, you cannot doubt the resurrection. Because if you do, Jesus, you, you're doubting Jesus dying and rising again if you doubt that then your faith becomes useless resurrection for anyone is a miracle or act of god right i mean again if we went to the graveyard and someone rose from the dead right people would say hallelujah science right and by the way for those of you who don't know i have a science background so i'm not against science at all right i mean i'm very pro-science but come on right you wouldn't say oh science right you would say wow that's a miracle <laughs> that's what you would say you know i have a friend of mine who works at probably i've shared i may have shared this story before but I, I have a friend of mine who works at the probably the second most famous cancer research center in the world well in the u.s in the u.s and um he is a business manager for them and he uh is privy to um uh, a lot of the conversations that go on there right guess what happens at a cancer research center people die that, that, I mean, that's, that's what happens. Okay, I won't share Rex's personal life, but he, has, he can laugh at that, okay, uh, and be okay. All right, so um, when this person, this friend of mine, is there at work, he's around all these top physicists, these top scientists, right, and um, he says that they are ultimately men of science, women of science, right? They, they want an explanation for everything, but he said that he found something very fascinating because when people come in and they've tried everything, they've tried every type of experimental approach to cancer, right? He says they'll say something like this. Go home and pray. <laughs> and he said it's fascinating because they don't believe in prayer, but yet they know that there's nothing else they can do because they've exhausted every opportunity, every possibility at that point. Now, 
I pray that 10 years from now, they'll be better, that some of those people come in, they won't need to sit well. I want them still to pray, but that they would just be able to heal them. That would be awesome, right? But at the end of the road, for anyone, a man of science, a man of letters, it doesn't matter, but anyone, miracle, act of God is what we describe rising again from the grave, right? Because it is the one thing that we cannot seem to do um, ourselves. Now, here's the thing. We are most likely to see resurrection as an act of God because it is the one thing people are powerless to do. Again, we can get money, we can get fame, we can do this, we can do that, but it's the one thing that we just cannot seem to do ourselves. That is the reason why it is the thing that attracts us the most. But if God is real, then resurrection is quite simple. Um, I want to read this next, then we'll come back. Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? See, let me just preface it like this. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe God is real? Okay, so um, here's the thing. Let's just say for a second you don't even have a biblical view of God. Let's just say God is a higher power, God is something out there, God is just whatever, a spirit in the sky, you know, it, it doesn't matter for the, for the moment. Just, 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 just humor me for a second, okay? Any of those definitions of God, for any of them, resurrecting some guy out of the grave would be what? Quite simple, right? Because it is simply what? He created them. He can raise them, right? I mean, by definition, if he's God, then he can do anything he wants to, right? So why is it, if you believe in God, why is it that resurrection is so hard to believe? Why is it that when you ask people, because even in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, as you know, is the least church, least Christian influenced area of our country, right? San Francisco Bay Area, and I know San Francisco's worse than San Jose, but if you ask people at work, you'll still have lots of people who say they'll, they'll believe in God, but when you say, if you were to also ask them, do you believe that Jesus rose from the grave, they'll say, uh, why, right? I almost think that, um, to a certain degree, this is a glass, glass half-empty, glass half-full situation, right? Because it would almost be easier to believe that, if, if you do believe that God is real, that he can do whatever he wants to do, than try to nitpick what he can and can't do, right? It doesn't even make sense. So if we believe God, especially the God of the Bible, it's very easy to see that he could resurrect someone from the dead, and in fact, that maybe that's what his desire is, in fact, as we're going to talk about in a minute. If God is real, then resurrection is itself quite simple and quite easy to do. Now this, I, I don't want to pass over this, because the problem is, as people, it boggles the mind, right? If we go to a graveyard and someone rose again from the grave, we would go what? Holy mackerel, right? That's what we would do. Miracles happening, act of God. Get out of the way, right? That's what we would do, right? But why should we be surprised? That's what Acts 16 is talking about. Why should we be surprised? I mean, God created us that way to live forever. Why not just go ahead and flip the switch back on because that's what he created us to be to begin with, right? I mean, it makes sense. You could argue, and I, I, I'm, I've never thought of it this way before, so I'm just thinking off the top of my head, so I don't want to, don't quote me on this. But you could argue that the default position of people, well, I'm going to take this back in a second, but just for to make the point, you could argue that the default position of people is to be life 
and to be on, right? I mean, Jesus says that he has come to bring us life and life more abundantly, right? Um, you know, Jesus talks about in John's gospel about abiding, right? And uh, dwelling with each other and abiding with God, right? Now, of course, the only problem, what's the problem with the default position of being light for people, right? Is because at some point we were created. We didn't exist for forever. We weren't spirits floating around in, in the apple of God's eye. He created us, and then we, li- and we continue to live for forever. No, there's a point in creation um, of our lives that's really, really important, right? But the thing is, is that resurrection for God's perspective is quite simple. If you believe in God and you do not believe in resurrection, it is like saying that you believe in something incredible, but that you don't believe in something really small. It's like saying you believe that I can lift a skyscraper, but I can't lift a pencil. That's what you're basically saying, logically. If God is real, then certainly he can raise people from dead. He can raise Jesus from the dead, right? Now, of course, the question is, did he, right? That's always the question. Now, here's the thing. We talked about this a little bit last week, right? But, you know, I ha- I, you guys know I do scholarly work and stuff like that. And I can tell you that there is no serious there's one or two asterisks, I know, but there is no serious historian or scholar of any type of humanity or anthropology or religion or anything like that who doubts the crucifixion of Jesus. They don't do it. You, you can't, I mean, you just, it, there's too much evidence of it. You cannot doubt the crucifixion of Jesus and be an educated person. You can't doubt Auschwitz and be an educated person. You can't doubt landing on the moon, Dennis, and be an educated person. No offense, okay? <laughs> Listen, we know God is real. We know Jesus was crucified innocently on our behalf. How much faith does it take to believe that he rose again? Enough that even a child could believe, right? Just a little tiny bit. Just a little tiny bit. The reality of God doesn't prove the resurrection of Jesus, but if there ever was a demonstrable miracle, it would be the resurrection of Jesus, right? That would be it. I mean, if you had to stake your entire eternal life and faith on one miracle, what would it be? Would it be Muhammad flying to heaven on Pegasus? It's in the Quran. Would it be the Buddha sitting under the tree meditating? I'm not sure that counts as a miracle, but uh, I'm forgetting my Buddhist history here. What would it be? Would it just simply be that God flipped the switch back on for Jesus to demonstrate his power to the world? Something so simple and eloquent and yet completely demonstrable of God. I'm going to pick on the Quran just for a second, right? Because the thing is, again, what shows God's power more? Pegasus? It's cool, okay? I mean... Muhammad had a good idea. It was cool, right? People liked it. It was cool, right? Pegasus or simply Jesus rising from the dead. Well, as for me, I'm going to go with Jesus. I'm going to go with Jesus. Third idea real quickly here today is this resurrection. Oops, sorry. Resurrection is a step everyone takes. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road a little bit. See, resurrection is a step that everyone takes. Now, I don't know about you, But when I was growing up, 
I always believed um, that when we talk about resurrection, Jesus rose from the grave, right? Um, and when I die, I'll go to heaven, right? I guess if, I'm a, if I do what the, the pastor says and come down the aisle and get dunked in the tub, right? Then, then that, I'll, I'll do that. And then other people will go bad places, right? But what does the Bible really say on this issue? Resurrection is a step that everyone takes. I'm going to open up here because I'm going to spend a couple seconds here. John 5, 25 through 29. Let's, let's really look at this um, this morning. John 5, 25 through 29. Here's what the Bible says. And I assure you that the time is coming when the dead will hear my voice. This is Jesus speaking now. And by the way, this is before he died, okay? This is before he was crucified, before he rose again. And those who listen will live. Don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead... Oh, wait a minute. All the dead? Really? All the dead in their graves will hear the voice of Jesus, and they will rise again. Those who have done good, we're going to talk about this in a minute, will rise to experience eternal life, and those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. Right? Wait a minute. I thought only Christians rose from the grave. Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, no. Right? See, the default position, the way God created was to live for forever. That once we were created, because we're people, we have soul, spirit, all those things, that we would live for forever. But Adam screwed it up, right? Sin broke it. You know, the desire of God, it was broken, right? But for every person who lives going to live for forever. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. John 5. Oh, don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son. They will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life. Those who have continued in evil will rise uh, to experience judgment. The Bible tells us that all people are resurrected, right? Not just one, not just two, not just the good, not just the bad, right? All people are resurrected. All people are all people will live again when they die, right? Now, see, this is very interesting because this is where a lot of times, um, you know, when people cherry-pick verses out of the Bible, right, um, you know, it's, well, I want to say it like that because it's, it's that, but it's even more than that, right? Because, of course, people cherry-pick verses out of the Bible and they say, you know, well, you know, God loves everyone, so everyone's going to go to heaven and, you know, that sort of thing. But, but here's the interesting thing, right? I mean, because if, in fact, living forever, rising again from the grave is, in fact, the universal desire of people, right? It's going to happen, <laughs> right? Isn't that sort of cool? <laughs> I mean, it's cool, but there's a problem, of course, we know that's there, right? I mean, it's, it's sort of cool, right? Because you don't have to be a rapper. You don't have to drink palm. You don't have to. You, you're going to do it either way, right? No matter what happens, you are going to live again when you pass from this world. doesn't matter when you pass. It doesn't matter how many times you've been cloned. You will live again. That's the promise from the Bible. The Bible tells us that all people are resurrected, but here's the problem. Oh, let me mention. Ironically, according to the Bible, we all get our wish, right? We all live for forever, right? I know that I really... See, some of you are too old, some of you are too young, and no one's really my age, but I still remember Queen and Highlander and Forever and all that stuff, and I wanted to put pictures, but I thought, no, nobody's going to get it, nobody's going to get it. But that's the desire, right? And we get our wish, right? We all get to live for forever, right? We will live for forever. But here's the thing. 
but only those following Jesus will dwell with God. Right? Jesus is very clear. He doesn't sugarcoat it. Now listen, people sometimes will say, wait a minute, it's about doing good and doing bad. No, 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 because you've got to read the whole thing in context. We don't have time. Go home, read John 5, though, if you don't believe me. But Jesus is trying to be as blunt as possible because he's saying, listen, if you follow me and you do what God has called you to do, then when you are resurrected, you will do what? You will dwell with me, right? But if you don't, you're going to be resurrected, but what's going to happen? You go to the naughty place, right? You go to the naughty place. Listen, I didn't put this up here, but I really think that this is really important. Let me go back. John 5 says this. I'm going to flip over John 14. Because John 5 says this. He says, don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son, and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life, and those who have continued evil will rise to experience judgment, right? Very clear demarcation. John 14, let me just move here real quickly. It says this. It's the classic passage where Jesus says this. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me, Jesus said. There's more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas, of course, classically says what? No, God, we, no, Lord, we don't know where you're going. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. And from now on, you can know who he is, right? And so the thing is, is that it comes down to this, right? Every one of us is going to be resurrected. Every one of us is going to live for forever. Okay, awesome, right? But we've got to put aside the cheering just for a second. Why? Because there is a differentiation that occurs when we die, right? In fact, Revelation, I've shared this before, but Revelation does not say um, that everyone, when they die, is going to go and the works of their lives will be judged according, and then some will go to good and some will go to bad. That is popular mythology. That is not the Bible. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that those who are in Christ do what? When they rise again, that they will go before the mercy seat of Jesus, right? And that in this little throne, right, this little chair, Jesus says, you know what? I died for you. You can go in and dwell with me in my house, right, in a little tiny chair. But the ones who don't know God and the ones who reject him and continue in the fantasy that we will become worm food and just will not accept the fact that God loves them and wants relationship with them, then they what? They're the ones who go before the great throne and they face what? They face a judgment based on what they did. Now, of course, we know that if they lived without sin, I mean, if anyone lives without sin, that they would be what? God would have no choice but to find them what? Innocent, right? But who of you is without sin? Who, look, okay, let's put the big error, I mean, I need, I've been asking to install this big flashing error over my head, right? So I could just click it on, you know, this sort of thing, right? Me, who, me, is without sin. All of us have sin. I sin, you sin, we all sin, right? We all struggle. We know that when we stand before God that we're not, you know, if we face that throne, we face God the judge rather than Jesus in the chair. What's going to happen? We're going to be found wanting, right? We're going to be found not quite good enough, right? And then all the bad that we've done is thrown back in our faces because we did it, in fact. Why do it? You're going to live for forever. 
Why not make living forever ever a good thing rather than a bad thing? Why not go ahead and just admit to God that you are a person that is not perfect? God is. You're not. And that you need Jesus to be your Savior and be your Redeemer. Right? See, this is where the knee bowing and head head bowing, knee, whatever, whatever, comes in, verses come into play, right? Because the Bible says that everyone one day will do what? All heads, all knees will be bowed before Jesus, right? One day. Why? Because we're all going to be resurrected. Some good, some bad, but it's true that all of us will, right? So if you're like me, and in my crazy logic world, I'd rather just take the tiny step of faith like okay here's this is what a six inch drop maybe one foot this little drop of faith right and believe that jesus really did die for me and that god raised him from the dead then do what face all the bad stuff that the bible talks about if it's not if i don't do that and i reject god and the cool thing is is that i already get my best wish Live for forever, right? So why not make it a good living for forever rather than a bad living for forever? For many of us, we already feel like we kind of screwed up this life at least a little bit, right? We wish we had taken this job. We wish we hadn't taken this job. We wish we had done this. We wish we hadn't done that, right? Who wants to live like that for forever, right? Here's the thing. Last thought. When we talk about this issue of resurrection, and we talked last week about the cross, right, and how divisive it is. The resurrection is also divisive. The resurrection is divisive, why? Because people are afraid of being able to commit their life to God, right? People are afraid that that means I'm no longer in control. I'm no longer my own God, right? And so when we go through this issue and we face these things, what is it that will cause us to take that step of faith? What is the fear that we need to get out of the way? What is the issue in our lives? Here's the cool thing, though. No matter what it is, we can do what? We can turn that over to God as well. God doesn't expect us to believe in the resurrection with perfection. He doesn't expect us to be perfect when we come to him. Just open our hearts to him. Open, that a jar would be worthwhile, right? Just a jar would be enough for the time being. The question is, as you go out too, because I know many of you here have made that commitment, but the question is too, what will it take for you to speak resurrection to other people? What will it take for you to be able to communicate this to them? Because the problem is, they're all going to live for forever. Your neighbor that's next door to you, he's going to live for forever, right? Sorry, he's going to live for forever. Sorry, meaning, you know, you want him to go maybe to the other place, but we want him to go to the, the right place, right? What is it going to take? What is it going to take? Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning, Lord, and we just come to you. First of all, Father, if there's anyone here who has never made a commitment to you, Father, we just pray, Lord, that you would just open up each of our hearts and that we would commit our lives to you. Father, maybe there's someone here who's never made that commitment, and they would just say, God, I want to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. I, Okay, I'm going to live for forever. Well, I want to do it with you. I want to dwell in your house. 
And Father, for, for the rest of us here, Father, may this idea of resurrection be critical and in first most important to us, Father, so that we may be able to take this into our world and share it with other people. Father, we pray for this time in Jesus' name.